Welcome to Funeral Potatoes for the Singles Ward. Tune in to today's taboo topic with Kaylee and Tracy. We're here. We're back. Part three of four for our My Body's Temple series. Mm-hmm. Okay, Corrections Corner is how we are starting off our episodes. However, we don't really have anything to note today. Yeah, I couldn't think of anything. I tried. I racked my brain. I read through the notes of last week, and I was like, if we messed something up, it wasn't in my notes. So, But we do want to note um, our book club discussion. We are having our book club at the end of the month. So on March 30th, we are having our first club discussion um we are reading blair osler's queer mormon theology you can find that a few places online such as amazon and it is a great book so we are hoping that you will join us you can either listen to it or you can actually join us for the discussion we are looking to have a few people participating we would love to get your thoughts and your participation in so you can find the google form to sign up um, on our instagram account in our bio Yeah, we'll do another story like we did earlier this week or this past week that has the link, the direct link in our story. So all you have to do is click the link in our story to get it as well because we want you there. We want to talk with you and interact with you. We need human interaction, even if it's Mm -hmm. virtually. (laughs) (laughs) We will take whatever we can get. (laughs) But it'll be a good discussion. We're excited. Um, I need to buy the book this week. I need to remind myself to do that. Everyone needs to own it. Yeah. But I am also like considering like getting another paper copy that we can like scribble all my oh, notes. Oh yeah. I want a paperback copy so I can take notes. Yeah. But I I definitely want the paperback. So good. So. so good. So worth it. So we hope that you'll join us for that. Yeah. It'll be great. And then other than that, I don't think we have any other announcements. Yep. That's about it. Before we start today's discussion, we wanted to remind you all that Funeral Potatoes for the Singles Ward is a proud member of the Dialogue Podcast Network. Dialogue is a collective of independent and interesting podcasts who promote thoughtful, respectful, and engaging inquiry and discussion into all aspects of the LDS tradition, thought, arts, and culture. You can support our podcasts and others in the network by subscribing today at dialoguejournal.com slash podcastnetwork. Subscribers receive special benefits like ad-free episodes and bonus content. Learn more today at dialoguejournal.com slash podcast network. So let's dive on in. Um, again, we are on episode three of My Body's Temple series. Mm-hmm. This week, we are talking about a topic that has a lot of debate in the church and not a lot of doctrine. It's just a whole jumble of nuance, basically. So... We are talking about piercings, tattoos, microblading, plastic surgery, and anything that could pretty much do with permanent body modification. Yes. So to start out, we are both fans of tattoos and piercings. Okay, so you should know. You should already come into this episode knowing our stance on this topic. I think you've only got the basic piercings, right? Like, two. Yeah, I just have one hole in my ears and then I have one tattoo. Okay. Then I'm the one who's gone a little bit further than that. Yeah. I don't really want more piercings. Like <laughs> No? No. And it's really just because my getting my first set of piercings was so bad. It was such a bad experience from like start to finish yeah, that I was like, that's I fair. That's fair. I don't need to do more. Plus I rarely wear earrings anymore. Also true. So I yeah. I get that. I get that. 
I do want more tattoos. I just, I would like to get my iPad first so I can design my own tattoos. There you go. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So yeah. So you already know our stance on that. Uh, but we do want to be able to discuss why tattoos are so taboo as a form of body modification. And then like how things like microblading, which is essentially permanent makeup tattooing, um, or like cosmetic surgeries are not even thought about twice in the culture of the church. There's a lot of complicated beliefs on there. And our big question is like, why is that? Why is it that tattoos are inherently evil or signs of rebellion or defiling our (laughs) bodily temples in terms of bodily modification, but getting like breast implants or a nose job or microbladed eyebrows or lash extensions even are socially acceptable and if not praised in the church like all of those things are like oh you got that done good job like i'm gonna go get this done we don't understand that i don't understand that but we are going to talk about this dichotomy and hopefully help you all to think a little bit more about why you agree or disagree with this taboo so let's like get into this Yes. Um, So, I mean, we have covered a lot thus far about our bodies and how they are temples and what that means to us. The big thing that we're trying to get across here is kind of like two points within this series. And that's about how we should be respecting our bodies, their capabilities, their limits, all that they can do. And that we decide what our temple, our body looks like and what that means to us. So on the church website, we know in the gospel topics section on tattooing, it says, your body is your personal temple created to house your eternal spirit. Your care of that temple is important. And so kind of in teaching and how to take care of our bodies, prophets have pretty much warned against tattooing or excessive piercing. Okay, first off though, excessive piercing is very subjective. So because I've seen people who have like tons and tons of piercings all on like one ear like 20 piercings which is incredible um so is that excessive or is it like more than one piercing i don't know you you can't be that vague with us but anyways before i go on a rant let's kind of roll it back so in the beginning of the church and in the bible such meaning of like our bodies as a temple it was pretty open-ended we just had to be able to take care of them we had to respect them we get that so it doesn't really specify the limits and the boundaries of what that means, of what our body as a temple really means. We're just supposed to respect it. So, but of course, our church does like to discuss everything in a little bit more detail, but typically with their own ideas. So everyone's kind of interpreting it, um, scripture in their own ideas, whether they are, you know, the prophet or a church leader like your bishop or a Sunday school teacher, for example. We're all making up our own ideas of what the scriptures are supposed to mean. And so as we dive in, it's important to remember that a lot of what we're talking about comes from a very conservative Christian biased view. Different people, different societies, different cultures are going to have very different opinions and beliefs on what is okay and what is acceptable around them in their society. So a lot of our ideation, which we've talked about in the past, really does come from a very, very conservative Christian view there. So we want to keep that in mind as we dive in. Yes. So we're going to start out talking about tattoos and piercings first. In my research, the only scriptures that were linked to this section, I looked in the gospel topics um, section of LDS.org first, and really the only scriptures that were linked to it were two different scriptures. So one is that scripture from 1 Corinthians that we've talked about so many times in this series, the know ye not that your body is the temple of God. And then the second one is 
in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 28, which says, Ye shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor print any marks upon you. I am the Lord. So that's it. That's all we get from the scriptures. And in that section of gospel topics as well, there are a couple of links to conference talks that all repeat the same quote by President Gordon B. Hinckley, which we will share in a couple minutes. But that's really it. Like there, that's it. That scripture in particular from Leviticus gets thrown around a lot in reference to tattoos and piercings. And like, I don't want to be that person. But if this was instituted in the law of Moses, because that's like all Leviticus was, was law of Moses. If we as a church truly believe that the law of Moses was fulfilled in Jesus Christ and that we don't need to follow everything from the law of Moses, why are we constantly bringing up verses from Leviticus of do this and don't do that? Why are we doing that? Like this is, that's just my two cents here on this discussion. No, those are excellent points. I think that's extremely valid. And I would love to see that brought up in a Sunday school lesson or to like leaders who I don't think would have a good answer for that. Honestly, like the more I think about it, and I think I'd have to like read more of Leviticus just to get caught up on everything. But it's a very interesting statement to say no cuttings in the flesh for the dead. I feel like that almost speaks more to a cultural tradition. I mean, we know that there's a lot of traditions among indigenous communities, the Jewish community and more, where they do things like cut off their hair to showcase their grief and mourning. A lot of those ways of expressing grief is actually something like very beautiful and very profound within their communities. I have a lot of scattered thoughts here, but like there's no direct limits to grief. So to me, like this line is interpreted as just trying to avoid self-harm during that grief phase, even slash especially when you feel that you have a reason for doing so. So I don't feel like it's talking about tattoos. I feel like it's like take care of yourself even through your grief. That's that's what I'm getting from it, because I mean. There, there had to have been like people throughout all sorts of history during this time frame um, of like people having tattoos and all sorts of things. Um, I know I think the furthest one, furthest reference I could find was like 3000 BC of like tattoos being referenced and everything. So like that's been something that's been going on through like all these different times and cultures and everything. I don't, I just don't feel like Leviticus was saying don't do tattoos. It is not a good scripture to reference. Yeah. So let's go into that quote from President Hinckley that we referenced a second ago. It comes from an October 2000 general conference talk that he gave in the priesthood session. This talk covers the quote unquote great immoralities of this generation, which this generation is even a different generation from those that were youth in 2000. So anyways, but it includes and is not limited to alcohol, theft, ecstasy. Another thing he said was a great immorality is people choking one another, which made me laugh out loud and go, stop Stop. kink shaming President Hinckley. Stop it. People like what they like. (laughs) And then, then of course, the accessibility of pornography Mm -hmm. by being online. And then the last thing he mentioned was tattoos. Huh. And so he went on to explain multiple ways to protect the youth from these great immoralities of the generation, such as teaching youth to develop good friendships, to get an education, to have self-respect, to stay away from drugs, the importance of virtue and honesty, the importance of prayer, 
and the importance of preparing for a good marriage. Not. Okay, interesting. Funnily enough, the section that warns against tattoos and piercings is in the section about learning self-respect. That is that is always the excuse that they use. I feel like at least like in the past 20 years, that is the route that they try to take. They try to place it I, it's got to be some sort of fallacy argument. I just don't know which one it is. But that that's... Ugh. Okay, problems. Go on. Yeah. Please go so on. Let me, <laughs> let me quote for yes. you. He says, quote, Now comes the craze of tattooing one's body. I cannot understand why any young man, or young woman for that matter, would wish to undergo the painful process of disfiguring the skin with various multicolored representations of people animals and various symbols he has not talked to a lot of people then Uh, with tattoos the process is permanent unless there is another painful and costly undertaking to remove it fathers caution your sons against having their bodies tattooed they may resist your talk now but the time will come when they will thank you a tattoo is graffiti on the temple of the body Likewise, the piercing of the body for multiple rings in the ears, in the nose, even in the tongue. Can they possibly think that is beautiful? It is a passing fancy, but its effects can be permanent. Some have gone to such extremes that the ring had to be removed by surgery. The First Presidency and the Quorum of the Twelve have declared that we discourage tattoos and also the piercing of the body for other than medical purposes. We do not, however, take any position on the minimal piercing of the ears by women for one pair of earrings. One pair, end quote. So essentially, he equates getting multiple piercings or tattoos to having a lack of self-respect, which I find entertaining and clearly like a generational divide thing, but that's what he taught nonetheless. From this point on, church leaders have repeated or reiterated his words about tattoos being graffiti on the temple of the body. Like that is one phrase or like term that has continued on for the last 20 plus years. Elder Packer once said, quote, you would not paint a temple with dark pictures or symbols or graffiti or even initials. Do not do so with your body. And then Elder Bednar elaborated on this idea by saying, Imagine the reaction you or I might have if we saw defacing graffiti on the exterior of one of our church's temples. The very thought of finding such inappropriate markings on a temple is offensive to all of us. Brothers and sisters, we must be particularly careful as the fads and fashions of the world entice us to mark or to pierce or to otherwise deface or disfigure our personal temples, end quote. That is just so ridiculous. I And I'm still like getting to that point of like really understanding like the nuances of this, even though like I've had tattoos for like over two years now, um, but it's something that I'd always wanted, but I'm just realizing what a flaw this argument is. Yeah. Because we have, we have art yeah. inside the temples inside and outside we take care to create them um beautifully with all sorts of symbols okay like they're constantly like replacing art and everything like and some of it is there to stay for a long time like they're very purposeful about what they're putting in there and on there like yeah which is what you do with tattoos it would only really be graffiti if someone else put it there when it's not wanted kind of thing but you don't get a lot of people assaulting you and tattooing you yes 
So yeah, that's a great point that you bring up because tattooing and graffiti is are two completely different things because graffiti is like you said, it's unwanted. And it's just basically an attack of art on a building. Whereas like tattoos, you go to someone specifically who will do that for you. Like you don't just get attacked on the street by someone with a tattoo gun and they hold you down and they tattoo you like that doesn't happen. So, yeah, that that's the thing. Like, oh, uh. so like, okay. So what have we learned so far from a doctrinal standpoint? Not a lot. Not a lot. Yeah. This is more policy and organizational discouragement rather than actual doctrine. Could it be a product of the leader's time? Possibly. It is very possible. But there is nothing like scriptural or even from Jesus Christ that says that we shouldn't be doing this. And even worse than the words discouraging members from getting tattoos is this from a 2014 New Era article titled Think Before You Ink. And yes, it's as infuriating as it sounds. It says, quote, what do I do if I know people with tattoos? So you've already created an us versus them within one question. Yes. Great. The answer says, quote, if you know people with tattoos, don't judge them for it. That would push them away. Be kind and be their friend. If the subject of tattoos comes up, rather than condemning their decision to get a tattoo, talk about why you treat your body the way you do. Learning about who they are and what kind of gift their body is may help them feel the spirit and come closer to the Savior, end quote. I know that we talk about this a lot in the church. I know that we tell youth, especially or how to handle situations that they might not be comfortable being in by having them to share truths about their beliefs or to testify about things as a way of getting them to say no to something. But this comes off incredibly condescending because you basically are going up to someone that has a tattoo and being like, I would never do that to my body and here are the reasons why. They didn't ask you. They're not inviting you to get a tattoo. Like, they're just living their lives. If you have friends that have tattoos, you can just say, cool tattoo. It's not for me, but I appreciate yours. Right. Phrasing it like this is creating a divide, a purposeful divide, as minute as it might seem in the moment. But you're giving them an opportunity to talk down to the person. Okay, so I know a lot of people who get tattoos for very personal reasons and experiences and they they want them it means so much to them and it's a beautiful thing and then to go to them and befriend them and say yeah I wouldn't do that like I love my body and my body's a temple like I would never do anything to hurt it or like disfigure it or anything that's not going to help them to feel the spirit it's not it's going to make them feel that they are being judged that they are less than who they are and that their tattoos are worthless and meaningless and that they don't have the right to do anything like that to their bodies because their bodies really aren't their own. It's a whole thing and it's very problematic and it's very hurtful. Yeah. Honestly, like I understand the intention behind teaching the youth how to say no to certain situations by giving them these opportunities to like share their beliefs and like explain the reasons why they don't want to do this, but you don't need to teach them this about tattoos. There aren't really any 14-year-olds running around with tattoos. You have to be 18 to get one unless you have a parent with you that's giving permission for it. And even if that's the case, a youth can be like, my mom would never let me go get a tattoo. 
period. End of discussion. Okay, moving on. One thing that has always stood out to me as an interesting belief in the church in regards to tattoos is that if a person is baptized with tattoos, the church doesn't really care and they are very quick to accept the person because the tattoos are from their life before the church. That's a good point. But if a person gets tattoos after they've been baptized, it's viewed as like open or willful rebellion. However, it does not prevent you from participating whatsoever as a member of the church. The only time it affects you a little bit is if you are preparing to serve a mission and you have a tattoo. If you do have a tattoo as you're preparing to go on a mission, you do have to disclose where the tattoo is and what it is of. Oh, interesting. In those cases, they may assign you to certain locations to ensure that your tattoo is always covered. But beyond that, there's no pause, there's no disciplinary action, and there's no reason why you can't fully participate in the church with a tattoo. So yeah, just remember that, folks. All right, so then moving on with Mormon Wiki. It's a fun Wikipedia page resource thing for everything Mormon. And so on there, it says, just because one has a tattoo does not mean he or she will be prevented from being baptized into the Church of Jesus Christ. Those church members who do have tattoos can be in full fellowship as long as they are living God's commandments, just like any other church member. Some members were tattooed before their baptism in the church, and some members may have gotten tattoos during a time of inactivity in the church. God loves all his children, regardless of what they look like, and if they come into him repentant, tattoos will not prevent one from serving in the kingdom of God. The greatest consequence of tattoos is most often the personal regret felt. In some cases, however, the willful disobedience to God's commandments leads to the breaking of other more serious laws. By keeping the small commandments, we make it easier to heed the big ones. My concern all constantly comes in when it comes to like referring to like things like this. Like, no, you're not always going to, only going to do tattoos like when you're inactive. We're not supposed to, we don't have to feel regret for this or we don't need to repent for getting them. It's not a commandment. It's, yeah, it's not. It's not. It's just a policy thing. And you can follow policy as much as you find fits for you with the commandments that you're following with your personal relationship to your heavenly parents. That The only thing that I feel is it really important to note in this quote is that like God loves all of his children regardless of what they look like. And if they come to him repentant, nothing will prevent them from serving in the kingdom of God. That applies to everyone, not just people who decide to get tattoos. Any member who comes to the Lord repentant and with a humble heart can serve in the kingdom of God. If you have tattoos, cool. If you don't have tattoos, cool. As long as you are coming to the Lord with a humble heart and repentant and willing to do what the Lord wants you to do, you can serve, period. Yes. And you don't have to be repentant for the tattoos. That's a weird thing they keep trying to make a connection with. You can be repentant for other things. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. I got a tattoo almost a week ago. It's my biggest one yet. I am happy with it. It means something very serious to me. I don't regret those actions and I do not feel... I I don't believe that I broke any of the commandments that I broke any promises that I made. I never, I never promised I wouldn't get a tattoo like that's, and that's not a qualification I have or that anyone has for serving the Lord or being a member of the church. Yeah. It would be different if like in the temple you make a covenant to yeah. not get a tattoo. It would that's be true. very different, but like you never covenant to do that. You never, there is no commandment that says you cannot have a tattoo. There is nothing. 
Also, we're being very careful about who we get tattoos from. We're not going yes. to some dude on the street corner who yeah, says free that. tattoos. Like you mm-hmm. go to someone who is trained and qualified and sanitary. Like it's it's very different. Yes. And then a quick mention. I mean, we can't really go the whole episode without mentioning Al Caraway, um, who is known as the Tattooed Mormon. She's made a name and career for herself in the church. And speaking about her experience as a convert who had a lot of tattoos and felt judged for it or was judged for it upon moving to Utah. I've I've heard her speak in person. I have followed her on social media. Like a lot of her content is pretty good. I haven't listened to as much as what she's done recently. Um, But she has said some good things. And I do think that she had some part of a story that really did need to be shared with a lot of Mormons. I know I need to hear it at one point. To note thus far, as we've said, we don't have doctrinal references to tattoos not being allowed. We know based on history that temples have looked different for cultures, locations, and more, and there are different ideas of beauty throughout time and space. But all we really have is church leaders making these calls for us. When they do that, they're not just telling us what to do. They're also essentially giving us the right to judge those who don't comply. That's part of the problem. And so when Al Caraway shared her story of feeling judged for having a Book of Mormon and being tattooed, that is entirely plausible. Like that happens a lot. And we need to make sure that whether or not we are getting tattoos or anything, we need to make sure that we're not judging people for things like that. And when we try to stick to certain policies, like not commandments, just policies, we're saying this is the right way to do things. This is the wrong way to do things. Anyone who does these wrong things is not one of us, or at least they're not doing things by the books and they're not good enough. I think when we focus too heavily on the policies, we lose sight of the actual purpose of the gospel because that's when we are focusing on the organizational structure of the church and not the gospel and the doctrinal foundation of it. I think that's what we need to remember to differentiate in our lives. Very good. Amen. So the last thing we wanted to bring up about tattoos in this discussion of policies and doctrines is that if you are a part of a culture that traditionally gets tattoos, you are encouraged not to get one. But if you get one, it's not thought about twice. It's not like questioned or like judged or anything. For example, in many Polynesian cultures, it is very common for people to get tattoos to indicate maturity, genealogy, and rank or status in their hierarchical society. In an LDS Living article from August of 2020, President P. Alfred Grace, who is the president of the Polynesian Cultural Center from 2016, said, quote, The cultural tattoos are actually something that we discourage our employees to use because while there is a good cause for it, a good reason, We also feel that there is a higher law, which is to recognize our bodies as temples. For some cultures, it's still a very significant part of their identification from a rank and status point. For example, in Samoa, the full body tattoo from the chest down to the top of the thigh is still a significant recognition of chiefly rank. So we're sensitive to that. And while we don't encourage employees to go away and get it and then return to the PCC, if they come with those kind of markings, we accept it as part of their culture, end quote. I thought this was interesting because the PCC is owned by the church, but they are willing to accept people quickly, openly, easily that have tattoos who are working at the PCC. And I found this so interesting because, in my opinion, if the PCC was as stringent about the tattoo quote-unquote policy of the church that the church is or has, then they probably wouldn't let them work there. Or they would find a way to make them cover them up while they're working, much like 
Disney World or Universal Studios does. Well, pre now, like now you can have a little tattoo showing at both of those places. But like before, if you worked at Disney or Universal, you could not have any visible tattoos whatsoever. It had to be covered. Right. If this was really a hardcore policy of the church, I feel like the PCC and the church in general would be more stringent on it and be like, you cannot do this, you can't work here, or it has to be covered at all times, like just like private businesses do with their employees. That was the last thing that I was like, I feel like this is still really wishy-washy because they're just, they're okay with it. Yeah, it still very much is. Like, does he say anywhere else, like if they're allowed to show off those tattoos there? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep, you are. Okay, so that that is good. It's just... Yeah, it still rubs me a little iffy, I guess, is all. Especially because it says, like, we don't, like, we're not going to encourage people to go away and get them and then come back. But if they already come with them, then we accept it. Yeah. So it's still a little... I don't know. It's very, it, the whole thing is very wishy-washy. Like, they discourage it, but then if someone has one, they don't care. Like, if it's a cultural reason, it's fine. But if you're getting it for fun, it's not. Like, there's too much gray area in this that's why I don't personally feel like it's an actual policy because if it was a policy, it would be very straightforward and be like, you cannot do this, period. That's fair. It yeah. wouldn't be a great, it wouldn't be so gray and it wouldn't be so nuanced. So for those of you who have been contemplating whether or not you should get a tattoo <laughs> and you are in the church, uh-huh. I encourage you to just think about it a little bit more. Why do you want one? What is actually preventing you from getting one? And if the only reason you can come up with is the judgment of others, screw them, go get it. Yeah, for real. Because the Lord is not going to punish you for getting a tattoo. If that was the case, Kaylee and I would be dead by now. So That's true. A few times over. Mm-hmm. All right, but we can't talk about tattoos all day, even though we would very much like to. Oh, we could. We could do a whole episode about all of the tattoos that we want in the future, but we will not do that We're today. Not do that. <laughs> yes. So we will continue on to plastic surgery and cosmetic procedures. 2016 New Era, there is an article that says the church has no official position on cosmetic plastic surgery in general, but church leaders have taught principles that can guide us in such matters. For instance, Elder Jeffrey R. Holland of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles has said, I plead with you young women to please be more accepting of yourselves, including your body shape and style, with a little less longing to look like someone else. In too many cases, too much is being done to the human body to meet a fictional, to say nothing of superficial, standard. In terms of preoccupation with self, with a fixation on the physical, this is more than social insanity. It is spiritually destructive. And if adults are preoccupied with appearance, tucking and nipping and implanting and remodeling everything that can be remodeled, those pressures and anxieties will certainly seep through to children. One would truly need a great and spacious makeup kit to compete with beauty as portrayed in media all around us. I love how he said to young women, yeah. like men don't get cosmetic surgery or procedures. They don't include anything about steroids or anything. So Nope. So that's it from a doctrinal and policy standpoint. There is no gospel topic section about plastic or cosmetic surgery. There aren't many talks about it, and there's hardly any quotes from general authorities about it either, like overall. Um, I found a couple of Reddit threads about microblading and plastic surgery in the church where people were completely contradicting themselves. 
So like someone would ask a question like, what do you think about tattooing or microblading? And someone would say yes to microblading because it's not really a tattoo and it doesn't permanently disfigure or change my body, but no to tattoos because it's permanent. And then someone would follow up the question with like, but what about electrolysis or cosmetic surgery? And they would go, oh, I'm 100% pro-cosmetic surgery without even like pausing or like second thought, nothing. Uh even though cosmetic surgery literally yeah. changes your body permanently. So I was like, that you, you guys are contradicting yourselves like within two sentences. It's just interesting to see how there is so little spoken about in terms of plastic or cosmetic surgery in the church when we are teaching people about how their bodies are temples and created the way that God intended, just like we discussed in our first episode of this series. You've already heard us talk about it for the last like 35, 40 minutes, how the church has a lot of opinions on tattoos and piercings, which are permanent bodily modifications, but they don't completely disfigure or change your appearance like cosmetic or plastic surgery does. So I just think that's interesting. That's wild. I mean, granted, this stuff is a little bit more modern and new to a certain extent. But yeah, like it's gotten popular enough and it's common enough that you'd think that the church would say a little bit more. Um, but also, we can kind of guess why they don't say it too much. Mm-hmm. So. Which we're going to get into soon. Let's do that. All right. So the Associate Professor of English and the Coordinator of American Studies Program, Kristen L. Matthews, gave an incredible BYU devotional in August 2013 titled The Worth of Souls is Great. So in it, she said one system of valuation that has negative consequences for feelings of individual worth is beauty. Human beings go to great lengths to achieve some ideal beauty. Extreme workouts, plastic surgery, eating disorders, elaborate makeup rituals, extensive hair and nail treatments, and compulsive shopping. All of these behaviors stem from the desire to be beautiful because we are taught to believe that beautiful people are more valuable than others. Here in Utah, we are not immune to this trend. In 2007, Forbes magazine named Salt Lake City the vainest city in America because it had more <laughs> plastic surgeons and used more beauty products per capita than any other large city in the United States. Wow. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. Drive down I-15, she says, and you'll see sign after sign offering to fix how you look to make a better you. Scroll through a Facebook feed or watch one commercial break during primetime television viewing hours, and you'll see several examples in which bodies are objectified, shamed, and tied to one's individual worth. This obsession is not without its costs. In a general conference talk, Elder Jeffrey R. Holland remarked on this false system of value and its destructive nature, pleading with women young and old, please be more accepting of yourselves, including your body shape and style, with a little less longing to look like someone else. We are all different. If you are obsessing over being a size 2, you won't be very surprised when your daughter or the Maya maid in your class does the same and makes herself physically ill trying to accomplish it. It is spiritually destructive and it accounts for much of the unhappiness that women, including young women, face in the modern world. And if adults are preoccupied with appearance, tucking and nipping and implanting and remodeling everything that can be remodeled, those pressures and anxieties will certainly seep through to children. At some point, the problem becomes what the Book of Mormon called vain imaginations. 
As Elder Holland said, this preoccupation with appearance and this socially constructed idea of beauty as that by which we find worth or value is physically and spiritually destructive. I just find it interesting that we have been taught for years in the church that our individual worth is not solely connected to our physical beauty, but it's connected to our inherent spiritual worth as children of God. I love this portion of her devotional because she breaks down the facet of physical appearance and beauty as a detrimental portion of our individual worth with those pleas from Elder Holland to be more accepting of our bodies as they are and to stop trying to be someone that you're not. I I do too. I really like that. And that's something that I definitely needed to hear like every single day of my life growing up. But what I think there is still one small thing being missed here is that it's a lot easier to accept ourselves when everyone else accepts us as well. And I'm not saying that everyone else is responsible for helping us to find our individual worth. I'm not saying that. But I mean, the majority of guys, from what I understand today, think that natural makeup is like they don't understand. They don't understand the contouring process and all that stuff. They think that they want natural beauty like the Kardashians. I hear that a lot. And the Kardashians put on layers and layers of makeup like a lot of women do today. And neither thing is bad, but there's a lot of preconceived notions that other people have that, you know, like our bosses are going to have and expecting us to dress up as nicely as possible. And the people that we're dating thinking that we have to look tip top, ship, whatever, all the freaking time like i i will put in five maybe 10 minutes of makeup on a good day when i'm really want to dress up for something and that's it whereas i know a lot of women are much more comfortable and spending at least an hour per day and we're going to have different outcomes and how we look and everything and that's how we're gonna do better but the world is going to see us as very different I mean, I love the talks about like our individual worth, but we also need to make sure that boys don't have this notion that it's like, yeah, you'll definitely find a wife who's got like an hourglass shape and always looks perfect, like, because that's what they're going to expect. And that's why we're going to be dressing up ourselves as much as possible and trying to find a mate. And it's, it's going to be this whole like turnaround spinning process where no one's really going to be happy because no one understands like what they're doing to each other and to themselves. Yeah. Just like two of my favorite things in life are The Bachelor and other reality dating shows. They are garbage and I love them. But like, (laughs) think about the people you see on The Bachelor. They are all like, okay, this season alone, every woman looks the same. They are all skinny, under five foot seven, white with blonde hair. Every single one of them. Like there were a handful of girls that are brunettes or other races, but for the most part, they are all the same. Where are you going where every single woman looks exactly like that? Nowhere. Similarly on Love is Blind on Netflix, the show where literally you are testing to see if you can fall in love with someone based on their conversations, nothing to do with their looks. You don't know what they look like until you propose to them. All of the people that got airtime were ridiculously attractive. Every single person. There were some people that had like body diversity or like other things going on with them physically. They didn't get any airtime. So like when society as a whole can catch up to the fact that like people look different, we value those differences. Like until that happens, we're not going to see this go away with the opinions on cosmetic surgery and people feeling like they can't accept themselves. Yeah, it's a whole thing. Definitely work on your individual worth, but... It's beyond understandable that it's very hard in this day and age if you do not look exactly like everyone else. 
that doesn't really look like that naturally because very few do. So it's it's just a whole thing. Even the Kardashians don't look like that naturally. They've gotten a lot of nips and tucks done to look like that. In a Daily Utah Chronicle article from October of 2021, Theodora Soder wrote an opinion article titled Salt Lake City's Mormon Culture Encourages Plastic Surgery. And this article highlights her experience growing up in Utah and noticing the heavy importance that beauty had on her time growing up, as well as the people that were around her growing up. She said, quote, I didn't grow up Mormon, but I did grow up in Utah, so I've been around Mormon culture my entire life. The pressure Mormonism puts on appearance, particularly female appearance, has always astounded me. Mormon culture puts an extreme emphasis on female appearance. That emphasis usually reveals itself in the form of physical altercation, or more commonly, plastic surgery. What makes this cultural mindset unique is the negative effect it has on both the women in and out of the culture. And perhaps most interesting of all is that the pressure for Mormons to get plastic surgery is unique to the state of Utah. Megan Conley, who grew up in California, moved to Utah and then moved back to California, said that she only felt pressured to get plastic surgery when living in Utah. She said, it's an absolutely a phenomenon happening within the state. There is a specific tie in Utah culture that is not said but felt the way that you appear on the outside is a reflection of how your soul is doing, end quote. I found this very interesting as someone who grew up on the East Coast. I did not experience this pressure ever in my life. And even where I grew up in New Hampshire, if someone got plastic surgery or if anyone's like parent got plastic surgery of any kind, the entire town knew about it and everyone judged them for it, but not in like a good way, not in the like, good for you, you got a facelift or good for you, you got a tummy tuck or something. It was always like, you did what? Interesting. So Kaylee, because you have lived in Utah a couple times, I need to know what was your experience like growing up in or near Utah with plastic surgery culture as a whole? Um, Well, to start off, I do want to take us back to before I did move to Utah. I grew up in California on the West Coast. Um, Most of my memories are in San Diego, for example. Living there, I grew up with sisters who basically had the looks of one who would expect to live in San Diego. And then there's me. So everyone talked big. And I know of but I know of very few people who ever did anything in San Diego. Um, I think some of it was just accepted as it was and wasn't too judged when there was so much else to be judged on. But it is big in Utah, however, doing small things to make a big change. Like one thing I've considered lately is how much they would rather do something big and expensive now rather than doing small things like committing to a really good skincare routine through the years can save you a lot of like cosmetology um, concerns down the line and everything. And like I've had friends who want to get boob jobs that were specifically mentioned while we were in Utah, which I didn't understand because when I think of a boob job, I think of like going from like a basic cup to like a triple D or something like that just does not sound safe or comfortable for some reason. Yeah. So I always I've I've never thought of it as like very reasonable things, which is silly because I have had facial reconstructive surgery. I had it in first grade and then later on as a personal choice because I always knew that I didn't look like anyone else like and I knew I couldn't really look like anyone else you can't give me long legs for example but they could do it to make my face look a little bit more average so I grew up hearing little about body modification besides the fact that you shouldn't get it um, which did affect me a lot growing up 
I mean, I've mentioned like I've got a lot of things wrong with my body. And based on the church of stance of being a, a perfect temple and seeing myself in the mirror, like really affected the person who I was growing up to be as a kid and into my teens. There's a lot of pain and like hatred that I still have to let go of and feel free someday. And even though I was like raised by like loving people and a fairly decent society, the eternal harm that was like, I couldn't ignore all that. And as plastic surgery became a little bit more popular, I began considering my options. So around the age of 17, I finally asked if we could do some things. And fortunately, I was in a good position with my parents. They were financially stable enough to do that for me. It was a painful and terrifying process. So I don't think a lot of people do this just for fun. Um, I remember being like really scared as well, like the night before the first big one of like, okay, should I really be doing this? Like, am I going to hell for doing this? And I just like went into it. I'm like, it's too late. I've made my decision. I can't back out now. Like, I still wonder sometimes if I made the right decision. But at the end of the day, it really was my decision. I mean, as some people know, I and I've mentioned on the podcast, like I grew up super judgmental about everything. I did care about the policies. I cared about everything we were doing uh, or not doing. But this is really one area that I've never been like very comfortable, like kind of pointing fingers at because it is something that I did. I wanted to look more normal. And judging how we look is very harmful to whether we're judging garment lines, hairstyles, and so on. However, in the process of me doing this and learning more, like body modification is dangerous in many ways and it does need to be taken seriously. And going into Utah and everything, like I wasn't hearing as much about body modifications, maybe because it was a college town. I did hear people like wishing for some, but I don't know if anyone ever actually committed to them. I just know that they would try to dress the same and do their hair the same. Like they were very much trying to look a certain way. And I would not be totally surprised if some were eventually in the situation where they could and did get some body modifications. I get that. But like the reason behind what we do that we're not required to share with others needs to be a strong one if we're going to be doing something like this. This is the one thing that I've been able to keep with like through the years. Um, And it does need to be done safely. Just like you want to pick someone good for tattoos, you need to be doing something very carefully and go through the process correctly. Because there's a lot of modifications that people can make now that only work for a short time and they're also like bound to cause problems they're not like also like reasonably studied or like proven to be helpful like a lot are like still considered experimental and they're still going through with things and that's terrifying to think about Mm -hmm. so to round up i have very personal experiences and views on this but i also like try to like play more on the safe side because you need to be careful with what you're doing with your body like And you need to have a very good reason for what you're doing it for, I think, in my personal opinion. When it comes to tattoos, I am a little bit more lax, admittedly, get it whatever you want. Um, But when it comes to, like, cosmetic surgery and plastic surgery, you do need to be very careful. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Kaylee. I'm so glad you brought up the experimental treatments point because we're seeing actually a couple weeks ago, a big story that came out was Linda Evangelista, which I don't know if many people listening to this podcast would know who she is. Um, She is one of the biggest supermodels of all time. She was on Vogue like over 20 times in her career. She's a huge model and she has basically been in hiding for the last 10 to 20 years because she started getting like those experimental treatments and Mm -hmm. procedures. Um, One in particular was like a fat freezing, like it's like Uh cryo sculpting or something like that. It's something. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah. It's something where you're like basically shaping your fat and it like burns your fat through freezing it. 
And she had a like one in a million reaction to it where her fat did not break down, but it ended up like swelling in those locations where she had those procedures. She has to wear like compression, everything all over her body. She's She says that she like hates the way she looks now because she's been at home. She's let herself go like all of this stuff. And this, the story that she shared in Vogue a couple weeks ago is so like, it's so sad and it's so painful to hear like what she experienced because of how she grew up. She grew up in the beauty industry. Like her whole career was based on how she looked. And so she felt that intense pressure to do those experimental procedures where she wouldn't have to like go under anesthesia or have a needle or something like that affecting her. Now she's paying the price for it so many years later because it is experimental treatments. I'm really glad that you brought that up, Kaylee, because that is something that we need to think about more carefully. Like we talk so heavily in the church about don't get tattoos or don't get piercings or anything. It's not safe. It's not healthy. But like it is. It is safe. There, there are very safe ways to do so many things. You just need to know what to do. Like you can go to any kind of beauty clinic and they'll offer you a range of options. Just because they have them there, just because they say they have trained people to do them does not mean it is a legitimate service that will bring that is guaranteed to bring you certain results and is like has been properly tested or approved mm-hmm. by like the right all the right people that need to be approving things. Like you need to be very careful. There is so much that is accessible today, especially in America. That sounds great. I get it. But that doesn't mean it's all safe and it's going to go well. If you want to treat your body as a temple, make sure that whatever you do to it is going to be done the right way. Like if you're built, if you're building a temple, you're going to want to get the right people to build it. You're going to want people who have experience building those kind of things and understand plumbing and everything the right way and are certified to do that kind of thing. If you want to do that to your body, make sure you're doing the exact same thing. You're going to want a lot of the same. I mean, you're going to want to look for like referrals and like the right certifications, like all, all the right things, please. Moving on, there is a fascinating article from Vice from December of 2020 about the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City and the pro-plastic surgery culture that permeates the church and the greater Salt Lake City area. So this article interviews a few of the housewives on the show. Um, Some of them are members or were members or have some sort of connection to the church in general. And all of the women who were interviewed in this article confirm the obsession with plastic surgery in Salt Lake and specifically the correlation of plastic surgery to the church. So I'm going to read a couple of quotes because it it blew my mind reading these. So first one says, The show's Heather Gay, who calls herself Mormon-ish, owns a medical spa with an entire menu of injections for beautifying. She openly talks about how Mormon women view plastic surgery as a way of achieving a level of perfection that brings them closer to God. Jen Shaw, the series' opinionated and super-plumped fashionista, told Page Six Style that the Mormon women of Salt Lake City are all nipped and tucked. They're all getting boob jobs, she said. They're all getting vagina rejuvenation. If they are saying they're not, they're lying. End quote. Lisa Barlow, the brash tequila empresaria whose family converted to the church when she was young and who now considers herself Mormon 2.0, says on the show that the expectation to keep it looking tight and right is ingrained in the culture. There's never more beautiful people than when you step into the Salt Lake airport. 
people take really good care of themselves. It's not about money. It's about integrity. One prophet said to keep your barn painted, like literally make yourself look your best, end quote. So this blew my mind because one, all of those women are like, yes, plastic surgery is a big deal here. Two, because of that last quote, when the woman quoted like a prophet who talked about getting their barn painted or whatever, it could be a real quote or it could be something that someone said in a meeting that got twisted and then repeated for years and years and years like we talked about in our faith promoting thinking episode. I tried to dig and find that quote, but the only thing I could find was someone had said that it was either David O. McKay or Spencer W. Kimball that said, even a barn looks better painted with a fresh coat of paint. And that's it. Oh, goodness. I just, I keep going back to the vagina rejuvenation and there, I... <laughs> I don't think any gynecologist is going to agree that it's a good idea. I, I don't I know just, why you would. I've heard of like all the way. There's so there's so many weird feminine hygiene. I'm using those in quotation marks. Um, products like like we know the whole thing with like Gwyneth Paltrow's company Goo Goo and having oh like jade, jade eggs shoved up there. That does nothing. That will more likely cause you infections and stuff like. That part of your body takes care of itself. Like doing anything like doing anything more down there is just like a terrifying thought. I just really worry about the people that believe this kind of stuff because there's no way that's like super pro. That's just like side stuff that uh, doctors are like, yeah, sure, I'll do this. Like I'll take the money. There, there's no way. Yeah, it's just, mm. it's terrible. Yeah. So this article Gosh. ends with Charlie Scott, who is a popular lifestyle blogger and influencer. You can find them at Truthfully Charlie. They write about beauty, style, and their Mormon life. So she told Vice, women in Salt Lake City do have a quote-unquote look that is very polished with long, gorgeous hair, lash extensions, etc. But she said, I don't feel pressured to look like them. She said that she would add the caveat that she might feel differently if she lived in Salt Lake. Um, and I feel like being there, yes, that would probably change my opinion on what I would need to look like. But I know that I do not live in Utah for a specific reason. And that reason is so the state of Utah can continue to exist. But I also like do agree. Like if I lived more in Salt Lake, if I actually probably like got out of the house more, <laughs> I would feel more. I'd feel a little bit different. I'd feel a little bit like more judged and inadequate and everything because I'm very short. I'm a redhead. My hair is ridiculous. Like I'm covered in like not the pretty set of freckles that everyone has in their filters. I'm just drenched in them. There are so many weird things about me. Like I can't look like them. And I understand that. And I understand, like, and I remember the desire of, like, kind of, like, wishing I could look like them. I remember, like, going to college in southern Utah and seeing how every other girl had either super light or super dark long hair that was, like, perfectly curled, trailing down their backs. You know, the the era of, like, Chevron skirts and everything. Like, they all look the same and everything. They all kind of match. They all look like they were in a set. And you definitely feel like an outsider when you stand out in, in any sort of way with hair color or a size or height or anything like that. Like, you don't feel like you're going to be a part of them because you don't match. So I, I definitely get that part of Utah. I just don't go out enough. But I I see all the stores now also. Like, I just remembered they have, what do they call them? Um, They have all, like, all these hair salons, but they're called something fancy. 
They're called like cycle places to get your balages and I I don't, I don't know. know. I can't talk to beauty things. Me I cannot talk to beauty things more than enough. But I know most people here try to look pretty similar to one another, especially with the blonde hair. Yeah. I don't go out often enough to be a qualified voice speaking to the beauty standards of Utah. I'm definitely not. Um, I mean, I wouldn't even be a qualified person if I was out in public more. <laughs> Same. All right. So we've definitely gone on a few rants, um, but hopefully we've shared some very interesting thought processes um, and information regarding how the church kind of sees how we should be treating our bodies with body modification type options available to us today. Um, I mean, as we conclude, we do want to remind you that the point of the series is to see that our bodies are temples and to accept accept them as they are, to know how to use them and to treat them moving forward. And we We know, and we've said this before, that every temple should be different, as should every body. They are a gift to us, a responsibility for us in this lifetime, and we have the agency to use and to treat them as we desire. So when it comes to like body modifications, like tattoos, plastic surgery, and so on, you hear a lot more chatter than instruction. You're going to hear more policy than doctrine. Everyone is going to have their own ideas about what is truthfully acceptable, whether you're in church, whether you're in the temple. So, I mean, like we said, a lot of people are going to say yes to microblading and no to tattoos, yes to plastic surgery and no to piercings. Like there is so many weird variables that people are making their own instructions for. All we really have in our scriptures is to treat our bodies bodies kindly, to take care of them, to make sure that we are being educated in the choices that we take with them. And we still have church leaders who are going to say their own things as well. We both know of leaders who look down on our tattoos, for example, and say that we're doing things wrong. That's just how it's going to be. You're like, we can't kick those people out and they can't kick us out. That's kind of just where we're at. They're making up their own rules that don't have truthful basis within actual doctrine. What we're really coming to at the end of this is how it matters less what you do to your body than why. We just invite you to consider this, to consider what you're wanting to do with your body, why you're wanting to do it. And if you do choose to do something about it, we strongly ask you guys to make sure you know what you're doing, to choose the right resources, to do your research before doing anything. Yeah, be extra careful when it comes to anything that has to do with your body, whether it's stuff that you're putting on your body, you're modifying of your body putting into your body, anything, like just be careful. Make sure you do your research. Make sure you do your due diligence and find out what is safe, what is not safe, what's approved by the FDA, what's not approved by the FDA, and everything in between. Whatever you decide, you need to remember that it's your body and it's your choice. Nobody gets to make these decisions for you. Nobody gets to tell you that what you're choosing to do with your body is wrong or evil or right even. Just it's between you and the Lord. It, that's really it. So we wanted to close with this one quote from Diane L. Spangler in the July 2005 Ensign where she says, quote, To become a grateful and wise steward of the body often requires giving up something worldly to gain something heavenly. For some, such an offering may include giving up a quest to become model thin, while for others, it may include giving up excessive grooming habits and the wearing of costly or immodest apparel. For still others, it may include giving up on the short-term pleasures of overeating, the avoidance of proper exercise, or the viewing of others' bodies as objects for self-gratification. With such forsaking of worldly practices come tremendous spiritual gains. Realizing and following the truth about the body brings freedom. 
freedom from the tyranny of vanity, fashion, envy, superficiality, self-criticism, backbiting, the ill effects of overeating or undereating, lust, pornography, substance addiction, tattooing, and a host of other forms of worldly weight and oppression. Developing an understanding of the true purpose of the body enhances our ability to use our agency to progress and to find joy, end quote. We just want to leave you with that last bit to think about that as you develop that true understanding of the purpose of your body, it will enhance everything about your life. It will enhance the way that you develop spiritually like we've discussed throughout this entire series. It will enhance your ability to use your agency and it will enhance your ability to find joy in this life. And we know that that is true and we have been able to find that joy and find that progress and that spiritual development as we have been able to focus on developing that understanding of the purpose of our own bodies. And it's a continual process. We continually have to work on appreciating and accepting our bodies as they are. Yep, it's a process. But as you do so, we can testify that it it's true. What Diane Spangler has shared is true. Agreed. Amen to that. We hope you can walk away with learning something about this as well as something about yourself and to take some of these words wisely as you go on with your life. Thanks for joining us this week, guys. Yep. And please stay tuned for next week's episode. Um, that'll be the last part of our My Body's a Temple series. Yeah. So we'll talk to you all next week. Thanks. Bye. Bye.